Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this podcast comes from Healthnetics. Do you have nagging aches and pains from your younger, more athletic days? Healthnetics CBD is a premium brand CBD that may help take care of aches and pains, as well as relieve anxiety and sleeplessness. Healthnetics products are all natural, THC-free, made in the USA, and undergo third-party lab testing to ensure quality and purity. All CBD is not the same. Order today with a money-back guarantee at healthnetics.com and use promo code SPORTS for 20% off. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. It is Thursday, May 23rd, 2019, and this is the MMA Beat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program. You know me from SiriusXM as well as MMA Fighting. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special panel. You know, I've been doing this show it's gone through many different iterations, different studios, different hosts, different panelists. I've done more than any other person on the show. I was on MMA Beat episode one. Here we are, episode 78 billion. Um, we've had Mike Jackson on the show before, who was a fighter in the UFC, but he was also kind of media before that. We have never to this day had a UFC fighter, straight up a UFC fighter, as a panelist on the show because we weren't sure if it was going to be a good idea. <laughs> well, we're about to test that little theory, aren't we? <laughs> to my left is Danny Segura. Past that is UFC bantamweight. Boom is here. Brian Kelleher, how are you, sir? Good. Thank you for having me. And at the, ver- at the very end, you know him. He is the Iceman from uh, MMA Fighting as well as The Ringer, Chuck Mindenhall, the man in the hat. Yeah. Man of many names. Yes. All right, boom. We're going to see how this <laughs> goes. Why don't you just talk for an hour? We'll just this is very, <laughs> this, is, this is a trouble, and this could be a huge success, could be a huge failure. It's everything blamed <laughs> It's like okay. a fight day for me. I was going to say, man, we've probably never been in a pressure situation like this. Yeah, before. you don't know anything about this game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I woke up sweating this morning. Welcome so. to the Terror Dome. Uh, all right, so let's get this going, Danny. We'll start with you as we customarily do. Let's start with BKFC. It was that? Did you go? No, you were with, uh, doing the show with me yes. on Monday. But I'm sure you saw what happened on my day. <laughs> By the way, perfect that that was at a Dave & Buster's in Times Square. I can think of, of nothing else to do but spit on one another in such kind of a venue. So here's the issue with this. You have Paulie Malignaggi going out there on the heels of Deontay Wilder, by the way, telling Dominique Brazil, Brazil he wanted to kill him in the ring. You have, you have Paulie kind of saying similar things, at least to put Artem Lobov in a coma, yeah. spitting on him, threatening to essentially commit a war crime by doing bad things to his corpse. It's like, it's gotten to the point now where everyone's kind of laughing because it's a bit of a sideshow, but you have to really, and it's also going to be in Florida. It's like two Florida men. Tampa. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of have to just sort of wonder if this is all a big joke. On the other hand, man, it is so ugly now. I'm wondering if the people promoting, because I've seen how Paulie promotes in boxing. It didn't look like this, even against Adrian Broner, mm-hmm. and that was ugly. What is happening here? Is it going too far? How, how do you feel about this? Or yeah. is it all just a big circus and we should just laugh at it? Well, I think you do have to take it seriously in the sense of like, you know, having security there to make sure nobody gets hurt and, and, and take it seriously in that manner. But as far as like the promotion itself, I don't think it's gone too far. I mean, just a few months ago, you know, we were talking about Conor McGregor and Habib. That's too far. I think this is right on the borderline. I think it's, it's obviously ugly. It isn't pretty, but it is the fight game. This is the hurt business. These guys are going to fight at the end of the day. 
Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's gone too far. Uh, you know, they're, they're attacking the character, the person, which I'm, I'm usually fine with that. There, there's been some things said that, you know, are a little bit off, you know, Polly saying he's going to pee on, uh, on Artem and whatnot. <laughs> But they're not Jim, talking about, you not know, on. they're not being, you know, talking about religion, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, races, uh, you know, a number not, of topics. Not yet. Not yeah. yet. Not yet. But I don't think that's the direction they're going to. Because if, if you look at their trash talk, it's really based about just each other. Like, I have a problem with you and you have a problem with me. Whereas uh, the Habib and, and McGregor situation, it spread out. And, and then it was, it was more culturally rather than just attacking the individual. So um, can it turn uglier? Sure. But at least at this point, I think it's, it's fine. Right. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think the question is like, what is too far? You know, I think uh, if you're spitting on somebody, that's, that's a little too far to me. I mean, if you spit on me, we're essentially fighting. So, you know, Paulie's doing things like that, kind of crossing the line, but words are words. And fight promotion is fight promotion. I think all is fair. Whatever you want to say, you're going to say. You know, in all honesty, they're going to get into a ring and and scrap and and do it bare knuckle and harm each other. So it's, you know, what you say can't be too much when you know at the end that's what's going to happen. What about the idea, though, that, like, we've gotten a little comfortable? I remember when Frank Mir said he wanted uh, Brock Lesnar to be the first death in the octagon. Yeah. He yeah. lost his job at WC mm-hmm. Commentary for that. Now, that was 10 years ago. It was a different time. Everyone was looking for MMA to get accepted into the mainstream. So I get the difference. I'm just wondering, and you're a competitor, someone wishing death on you, dude, what if, what if something bad happens? Someone's going to trace that back and go, we did not take this seriously, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another thing that, you know, this is escalating further and further as time goes on. It's like people are setting the bar higher and higher. Like you said, with Connor and Khabib, it got so out of hand with racial comments and religion and stuff like that. I feel like now that sets the bar for other people to think, oh, okay, like we can go this far with it. It's funny because it's almost like... He, Paulie feels like he's in a sideshow, like you mentioned. I feel like he believes he's in a, in a strange cameo in the gutter. He's going to the, some other place to kind of carry boxing and integrity. He's going to show all these MMA fans. He's going to show this guy, this guy from the MMA world kind of what's up, you know? And it's just, it's bizarre on that level because, like you said, this isn't the Paulie Malignaggi we've seen mm-hmm. in the past. So I feel like he's carrying a little bit more baggage into this, which is a tell, obviously. Like, it's not, it's, he's obviously psychologically involved more than maybe he normally would be, and he's got something to prove, I guess. Um, so it's it's all playing out in that in that sense. But, man, I don't know. That he doubled down, you know, he's like, about the coma and all that, they kind of doubled down. You know, I don't want to wish harm on anybody, but, you know, if it happens, at least show all you guys, yeah. you know, yeah. with this, it would be, this is real, you know, was, and I'm He was like, presenting it like it was a useful teaching moment. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's, it's, I guess we've kind of with the, with the back and forth between him and uh, McGregor, and then you know that you have that whole sideline going in. It doesn't feel over the top. It feels like maybe where you anticipated it might be, just given that kind of uh, bad blood between the camps and everything. But um, I feel like it's only going to get crazier from here on out, man, as we get closer to this thing. Yeah. Right? What's the worst anyone's ever tried to like get? promote a fight with you? Like, how, how far has somebody gone? I haven't had much happen to me, to be honest. I mean, I've gotten in people's faces before, back and forth, but no one said anything, like, really malicious to me. Or, you know, I'm not, like, the type to talk trash, so I don't think I set it up where it's, like, it's going to come back at me like that. But, yeah, nothing really crazy with me. You know, no one touched me. No one really said anything about my family or any kind of religious thing. So I haven't had struggles with that. But I think that uh, with the Paulie thing, it's it's like he's so fired up. And it's interesting because he doesn't have a direct beef with Artem himself. It all came from that sparring session with Connor. It's like 
he's still holding on to that bitterness of that video. Yeah, and, and he was talking pictures. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he can't that, let yeah. that go. He can't yeah, let yeah. it go. Yeah, he's so heated up to like get back at that. That I think this fight is like all about that moment. You know, yeah. this fight is really. It's. I think that's exactly yeah. correct, Danny. This fight is like. We don't really know what happened in the sparring. Mm-hmm. We, we right. saw that little tiny exactly. thing. Was it a knockdown? Was it a knockdown? He says release the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't think it's fair to call Connor a front runner, but I think it is fair to say he's much tougher in the early parts of a fight than the later parts. Um, this is Paulie trying to drown that memory in the bathtub yeah. and set a new one up. Not <laughs> yeah. really just get a fight with Connor, but mm-hmm. uh, I want to show you I was right about this. And ironically, keeping For it sure. alive. I mean, <laughs> essentially, know. he was set up because. If you look at all the interviews and all the media he did, he went in there going, oh, I'm here to help McGregor, me and McGregor. I remember like, he was talking about McGregor, like, you know, they were partners, but McGregor was not in that partner business. He went, he brought him in, he flew him in to beat him up. That's what he did. Take pictures of him. And then he (laughs) ruined his reputation by putting all this footage out there. And we know the MMA trolls, how, how, you know, insane they are. They just came after Paulie, and I think that's something he wasn't expecting. And I mean, if you just look at all the media he did post that, I mean, it's just hours Mm. of him just going at it and ranting about this. So this is in a way, uh, like a little outlet, like a way to vent, uh, in a way to, you know, I guess release some of that anger that he has and kind of get back at that team. Yeah, very sweet wheelhouse for the bare knuckle organization to find because mm-hmm. they're basically are taking a vendetta that's very alive mm-hmm. in a fight community and saying, like, we're going to find some resolution by bringing these two guys together. What better way to do this? Yeah, They have way more attention on this fight than they could have possibly had if they had had 50 of the way they were going. You know, the, the fight cards that they're putting together with some names on them, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's no real beef. This is the kind of thing they need to find. Yeah. Like vendettas that can play out almost um, on a sideline. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is tailor-made for Bare Knuckle FC because say like Bare Knuckle FC wouldn't exist, Bare Knuckle Boxing wouldn't exist, and it would just be UFC and boxing. You know if you put Paul Malignaggi and, and Artem Lobov in a boxing match, you probably know who's going to win. You know if you put them in the UFC in an, in an MMA fight, that wouldn't be that intrigued because you know who's going to mm-hmm. win as well. But this is uh, right in the middle. There's clinching. There's... Forget about the the, the storyline and the beef. Just the fight itself. It's actually intriguing. It's actually you got an active fighter, but you know that's not really a boxer. And then you got you know the clinch aspect of it. So just from the fight perspective, it's actually yeah. a really intriguing bout. This well, is tailor made for that organization. It's funny, I was thinking about it. What the mo- the highest selling pay per view in UFC history had the promotion that all of us were like. That got a little far, right? So mm-hmm. it was obviously <laughs> uh, Habib versus McGregor, two and a half million pay per view buys. This fight, I think, I don't know what it's going to do because it's kind of... How much is it? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. So that's, again, price yeah. point, what's it going right. to be? Yeah. Florida's making them wear gloves that have no knuckles, but they have to have gloves, which is like the most Florida dumbass thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so there's that. But I was just thinking about this. I remember... Bare, like, some bare knuckle. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> moderately Partially bare knuckle. Bare wrist. Uh, yeah, bare wrist. I, I was, I was uh, thinking about it like 10 years ago. I remember when the UFC was promoting itself and promoting its fighters. They were like... These guys have accounting degrees and they're college graduates. And that was fine for like a respectability notion. But to promote a fight, this is the best that BKFC is probably ever going to do. And the best the UFC ever did was super ugly. I'm not saying this is historically crazy. I think everything goes in cycles. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of alarming, Brian, right? (laughs) That like we knew ugliness sold. But I don't know that there's a breaking point. Like, oh, you think, oh, ugliness sells up to a point. I'm not sure about that. Ugliness seems to sell as long as you just keep up the ugliness. True or false? No, it's true. It seems like in this this business, there's like no laws. You know what I mean? Like it's just like (laughs) do whatever you got to do to make this sell. And it's interesting that it's like that. But like, so then why don't you engage in more of that kind of stuff? 
If you uh, know it works. I think it has to be somewhat in you, you know, it's kind of in your personality to let loose and say crazy things. And when you do stuff like that, you have to back it up. You know, I always admire someone who goes so far to say, you know, a lot of cocky things and and preach things that, you know, you got to go in there and now back that up and that's on your shoulders, you know? And I think for someone like me, I don't really want that on my shoulders, that extra mm -hmm. pressure. I don't want to put that out there and then be thinking, what if now? What if I don't do that? What if this doesn't happen? It looks worse on you, you know, in the end. So I just choose to stay out of that kind of thing. But it's crazy how things are going when you're spitting on people and hitting them on the head with microphones. Like, I mean, it's funny stuff and it makes us yeah. want to watch it, but... And, and you're not even, you guys aren't even mentioning the Mayweather McGregor antics for four days where he's showing up like a pimp and doing all the stuff and uh, making racist jokes. I mean, the, oh, that's sort mean, of. The, you mean the, uh, the tour? Yeah, yeah the, the tour. tour. Yeah, yeah. There's a four day tour. I mean, like, the, I thought that that went too far at the time. I was like, this is, a, this is like gratuitous. Like, this is just keeps going on and on. But some people loved it, man. Some and people at, loved and it. And look at the sales figures. And the figures, sales figures man. for that one, too. It is the most uncomfortable reality that that kind of thing works as the, well as it does. And, the, and obviously the common theme in every every scenario we're talking about is Conor McGregor, right? Because his, his specter will play over this as well. And I think that that's, it tells you what kind of business that guy's running. You know what I mean? Like, when he can basically just be a figure that's... Um, out there in, the, in, a, in that realm, and it still matters. Right, know? let me pitch this one back to you, because Paulie said something that I thought actually was right. He said a lot of things that I didn't think made sense. So not everything. I'm, <laughs> let me be clear. I'm not saying everything Paulie said made sense. But there was one argument he made that he goes, these MMA fighters, and, and the, not, not all the fighters necessarily, but Artem and then the community generally, they're like, oh, well, boxers, you know, they fight with big pads and you, you limited things you can do. And and his point is like, well, yeah, it's not as multivariable as MMA. It's just punching uh, above mm -hmm. the waist. But look at the trail of bodies. Look at the trail of damage. It's much worse in inside boxing than it is in MMA. And he and he sort of attacked the MMA community for it. I got to be honest. I don't I don't think he's wrong. I've heard this for years from people. They're like, well, I'm not saying MMA. I don't know which one's harder, right? Yeah. But I know that the there's a bit of an attitude inside MMA towards boxing. Like, I think people think there's a sneaky suspicion it's a little bit easier and a little bit less dangerous. And the facts don't really bear that out. I think Paulie's kind of right. Yeah, I would agree with him to some extent. I think, you know, MMA fighters think that the game of MMA is harder because of the different aspects that we have to train in and, and, and use in the fight. But with boxing, you're taking a lot more shots to the head because you can't clinch up necessarily and you can't take a guy down and hold him down or whatever. So I think with that said, yeah, we, we just don't know with CTE, the research though, you know, like we haven't seen what it's done to MMA fighters. It hasn't really been shown. So, you know, with boxing, it's definitely dangerous to take a lot of headshots like that and not have any other option. But, you know, the gloves or no gloves, I think, you know, I don't really even think Paulie has something against MMA. I think this is just him trying to speak on behalf of the fact that he's fighting an MMA fighter, you know? Yeah. Uh, by the way, this is a, it's a candid question. Are you worried about CTE? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I take my CBD oil every day. <laughs> it hopes that it works. I don't know, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, um, you know, talk good things about it, but you just never know. You know, there's not enough research on CBD either. Like, is there side effects later down the road you find from taking that every day? Right. That's negative. I don't know. But I am worried about it. You know, I've, I've you know, been knocked out once in my career. Uh, haven't taken much damage, you know, other than that fight, but... After that, you start to rethink mm -hmm. things, and, and it's hard to tune that out, you know, once you deal with that. Danny, what do you think? Does Paulie have a point? He does, and, and I also think that the cultures are different because in MMA, you sort of— I, I feel like in MMA, MMA fighters and just MMA fans have a perspective that boxers are pampered, that boxers, you know— and in a way, the culture is, is a little bit different in that sense. Like, for example, I've 
as media, I've covered, you know, open workouts for boxers. And, you know, it's not a bunch of dudes in a mat grappling or anything. It's usually just one guy, and that guy has, like, 20 dudes around him, you know, drying the sweat off, yeah. you know, lacing the, the gloves, water. one guy for the water. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Just really taking care of them, right? They almost feel like, you know, and I mean this with, with 100% respect, like like racehorses, you know, like... A, like a, I know what you mean. Completely mm-hmm. treated like, you know, like, this is the sure. guy. Whereas MMA, everybody's in there. You're in there working hard. You're in there grinding. You know what I'm saying? So there is that mm-hmm. sort of misconception that gets lost. Oh, so this guy must not be tough. This guy has a, somebody drying his sweat with a towel. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, boxers put in the work, man. They, they have to be tough to, to, to get there. Also, like, just look at Artem's record. You know, we, we tease around about him being the GOAT and, you know, being a 50-50 fighter. Uh, whereas boxers, you know, throughout their career until the very end, they get usually set up with, with good matchups, right? So I think there's cultural differences in that. Um, but I don't think it speaks to, you know, boxers being less tough than, than MMA fighters. Do you find that feeling is, I don't know how pervasive it is, it's not a scientific yeah. thing, but I've heard it for years. Oh, well, boxing's, right. boxing's a little bit that. Yeah. Paulie's right to push back against that. I'm, you know. Yeah. I mean, in the standing eight count, right? Like, that's, I, you always think about that when a guy, like, there's no time to recover. The fight is over in an MMA fight when a guy is basically exactly. knocked down and is, is rendered yeah. defenseless. At that point, the fight is usually over. We see cases where they let it go on too long, but that's usually the case. In boxing, you could get, you know, just completely clobbered and you're, you're senseless for a few seconds, but then you wake up and you can stand up and actually continue mm-hmm. the fight. That, to me, is always the biggest divide, to yeah. be honest. Um, that's when you, because you but see also guys. also the attitude on quitting, like folks don't realize this, Mel and actually fought uh, um, with a broken jaw before, yeah. and he wanted to quit, he just didn't because he didn't want the scarlet letter on him. Mm-hmm. Whereas in MMA, like, if somebody quit, you'd be like, smart call, that, right. was, the, that was the right call. Right. Yeah, you know so what that's I mean? true, that's true. And that's, yeah, that's what he was saying about, like, tapping out, you know, he keeps tapping and showing, like, in MMA, at any point, you can just <laughs> lay down and tap, you know, yeah. if, you, if yeah. you're feeling like things aren't going your way. It's kind of true. I mean, if you... If George St. Pierre tapped strikes against Matt Serra, yeah, the exactly. best fighter ever. Yeah, if, if your <laughs> mind's not in it and you're having a tough time and you start thinking negative in there and, you know, you're on the ground in a bad position, like, you do have the ability to make it look like, you know, put your put your arm around my neck and, I, and I'm out of here, you yeah. know? And and in boxing, that has is something that really is, like, frowned upon, you know, to, mm-hmm. to quit, like you said, mm-hmm. if you stay on your stool and you don't come up to try to fight and uh, keep going. So, yeah, that's a point, too. Yeah, 100%. Amir Khan, you yeah. know, be like, oh, my mm-hmm. balls hurt, I'm out. Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely, it's easier to to find a way to to quit in MMA than it is in boxing. By the way, way, that's a, I agree, just very quickly. I think that's a good thing about MMA. Like, like boxing's lack of humanity yeah, is yeah. not positive. I mean, that, that's that's where people get hurt. You know, when, when you know you know you won out, but heck, I don't want to look like an idiot, so I'm gonna you know stay in there, you know, extra minute mm-hmm. and get you know that extra damage. And to your point, uh, you know. When you get rocked in, in MMA, you get hit. Sometimes we see fights stop prematurely, and right, we talk about it, and, and, and fans complain about it. But in boxing, like you know, if, if you get if you go down, you have the ability to go back up, and the, the will that you have to summon to go back in there and get back in the fight, it's it's ridiculous. So um, I think both both fighters are tough. It's just you know different cultures. Super, like, yeah, cultures. Tyson Super different Fury. cultures. Tyson Fury. think about that yeah, last you, fight. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like it's the most ridiculous thing <laughs> ever. He looks like he's completely out, and then I was like, Whoom, back up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. you see that stuff in boxing, but that fight is over in MMA. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even Brazil, he he was getting back up too. It was too late, but yeah. he was like trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. After taking a bomb, it's having crazy. exploded on his face. <laughs> All right, so then let's move on to the other part of the story, which is not connected to the BKFC part, but as you alluded to, Conor McGregor going on Tony Robbins' podcast. Funny, then news breaks <laughs> yesterday that multiple women have accused Tony Robbins of sexual misconduct. <laughs> Good timing. I was like, <laughs> perfect. Um, in any event, forget that part. Here's the thing I was thinking about, listening to what he, got, he had said. 
a lot of different things. I'm not really asking any of you to weigh in on the truth value of it, but I found it to be an incredibly deft move by Conor McGregor, which they often are. Number one, he acknowledges sort of like other sports luminaries like LeBron and how they've changed his perspective on taking care of himself. Number one, that was the first one. Second of all, going on Tony Robbins' podcast where Tony Robbins was just fanboying it up. He didn't go on a sports podcast. You know, he wanted like a, yep. a, a self-help guru where you can just sort of tell your side of the story. You know, it's a very Oprah-ish mm-hmm. in that regard. So that was interesting. And then he, to me, like, is this the first time he's talked about the brawl at length? I think so. And he talked about it with levity and how he was, he won in yeah. the end. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I was really thinking about was the key insight for me, Chuck, I want to go to you first mm-hmm. on this one. What I took away from it was he realized that Habib's next fight can't be him. Habib's got to do something else. But Connor's next fight, if he plays his cards right, might actually just be Habib. (laughs) He has to sit out a rotation. But if he can start to bring levity to an ugly situation and tell his side of the story (laughs) and say these guys are running, and God only knows what's going to happen with Tony Ferguson and Cowboy, right? There is a way to weasel his way. I'm using the word weasel. But, you know, find a way back in in the queue (laughs) How effective do you think, and this is the beginning, it seems to me, how effective do you think this push can be? I I think highly effective. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I honestly thought that same thing. I was like, I wasn't sure what he thought of this brawl. You know, the whole thing, it seemed like he handled it at the time kind of like counterintuitively to like what some people might have. They might have made a big stink about it and tried to, you know, milk the situation for all it's worth. He seemed immediately, even that night, to just be like, no big deal, no big deal. And so we finally hear him, and he does use levity, and he does mention all that stuff. He kind of starts planting seeds, which he always, you know, he's very good at doing. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was very Conor McGregor. Let's put it that way to come to come in and uh, and play it that way. And I agree with you 100. We've talked about it before. It's like, does anybody really in the, within a fight bubble want to see that fight, and why? We've talked about it getting so dark that it's one of those things. You're like, I don't even sure I want to see that kind of energy collide again. But at the same time, what is he doing then? He's going back and he's reworking the, the you know the wires behind it and saying like, well, you know, it was all in good fun type thing. You know what I'm saying? And I think that he's um, that's the right approach. I think you've got to get you have to somehow make it so it doesn't seem like it's a uh, like a war. Like you're going back into some dark place where everybody's going to be kind of like, ooh, the mood of this one is very dark. Get past that. That would be the first part, and then start working on the competitive side of it because he was already planting those seeds as well. It's just saying like, you know. Um, it was my training. We were we were doing defensive. I'm an attacker. Let me try it my way. That sort of thing. I, he's planting all the right seeds. That's what that's the way I saw it. Yeah, it was interesting too. Like one thing I took away from that was he mentioned his foot was hurt in training. Right. He, he came yeah. up with a lot of different excuses, you know, from, from training the weight cut and stuff. And uh, I think it's funny because RDA hurt his foot and had to pull out of their fight, but then he hurt his foot and he's mentioning it after taking a loss. You know, it's kind of like one of those things you, you don't do. You know, you make fun of one guy for pulling out for an injury, but then you say, I lost and this is why. Like right. I had the same injury. But yeah, I think he's, Connor's really smart. He's playing his cards. Right, he's he's throwing jabs out back at uh, Khabib and and Ali. He knows Ali's gonna hear this, and that's you know Ali has a lot of power, and he's he's gonna be stubborn. He doesn't want to give uh, Connor a rematch. He wants to let him sit out and you know try to work his way back back up the top. And uh, you know this is what Connor has to say to try to find his way back in there somehow. But hey, if Poirier beats Khabib, that kind of sets Connor up too. You know another mm-hmm. a rematch fight. So right. he, he's gonna find his way in there somehow. I, I think. just think the injury thing. Real quickly, going back to you on this one, a lot of times. People are like, oh, you know, my hand was messed up or whatever. And 99% of the time, people are like, ugh. And you saw a little bit of that here. But if he can turn that into, but okay, 
here's a way to think differently about it next time. Not like he doesn't want you to dwell on the loss. He wants you to reimagine the future, mm-hmm. which a lot of fighters don't do. They don't pivot as a way to get it back. Yeah. It might work. It might work, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it could for sure. I mean, he's saying all the right things. You know, with injuries, it's like some fi- with Conor McGregor, like he's going to go in there and make a crazy amount of money to fight. Some guys are making the base pay and they're fighting for their life essentially. So if you're not 100% and you gotta go in there and fight for that base pay or let's say it's your last fight in your deal, it's not the same situation as a guy like Connor or someone fighting for you know a championship where they're gonna go in there with some injuries and make that big payday. Danny? I think this was... You find it effective what he's doing? Oh, 100%. And I think this is also not very telling about him, but also the audience. Like the big fights happen Casuals make the big fights happen. Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather happened because the, the 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 mainstream media hopped on that, and the casuals were like, "Oh, we want to watch this," you know. But if you talk, if you spoke to the hardcores, the hardcore boxers and the hardcore MMA fans, people people weren't too they weren't about that fight. Uh, so same goes with this one. If you, it, the 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 feeling leaving Habib McGregor was one, this is ugly. Two, Conor McGregor got washed. And now you see right. Conor McGregor spinning and embellishing the, mm-hmm. you know, the storyline, which he's a master at doing so. One is stating out there, and this is all targeted towards the casuals. Well, that's why he's on t- Tony Robbins. 100%. Not, not, not the hardcore MMA fans. By painting to the casuals that, look, Habib was wrestling me. I was in the attack mode the whole time. He's the one not looking to fight me. He was just looking to hug my legs. He was injured. Exactly. I'm, I was injured. And then, you know, a casual goes, yeah, why don't they stand and, and strike? Why don't they actually fight? Why is Habib, you know, hugging his leg? <laughs> and then, you know, he's embellishing everything and saying how That's he got point. the last laugh, you know, by punching his uh, Habib's brother and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it, it's just very interesting. And it's also very telling uh, about the casuals, because if you listen to that that podcast, I think it was there was an audience there because yeah. you hear clapping. Yeah, yeah. We talk. We came up here after that, and we're 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 you know talking bad about this. How ugly this is. This is a black eye for the sport. And then you got McGregor saying, you know, his cousin tried to sucker punch me, and I dodged the the punch, and I saw you know I hit him. Uh, left or, left hand exactly. right down the point. <laughs> and like I went on top of the cage and sucker punched the other guy, and everybody's like, yeah, Conor McGregor. Yeah. Tony Robbins is cracking up. I feel like people are so detached from that because we actually get you know the nitty gritty like the tweets, and we see like every yeah. single detail. The, the casuals are not really paying attention to that. So for them, this is just a circus yeah, and they this don't know that people use the, exactly. like, I broke my foot. You know, they don't know that we've heard that in the bubble a million times. Yeah. They don't yeah. know that. Well, they like, yeah, the broken foot. Exactly. Oh, dude, yeah. we yeah. got him on the back, you know? <laughs> so I think he's pulling off a stupid card in the sense that he knows he can wait it out. He knows if he gets the casuals on board, this yeah. fight will happen. He, he's the master of, like, going, like, way too far, like, making fun of Habib's wife. And then... Short time later, he's out there with the boys and girls of America painting fences. <laughs> and, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, he's got this ability. It's to, like a balance, you know? Like, he knows how to, like, I could do two bad things and one good thing and even it out. Yeah, and how to measure, like, how many of the two bad things equal the one good thing or yeah. vice versa. Like, he's got a real sharp knack for that. So, I think it's still too early to tell, like, what's going to happen. But him planting the seeds like yeah. this in the way that he is, again, he's not going to get Habib next. But he might be after that. We don't right? know for sure, though. We also don't That's know for sure. That's always the way with that this game. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Sure he's still waiting, right? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Still... I mean, Ali was on Monday right here in this very studio, and he said yeah. nothing was signed. Nothing was signed. Yeah. Uh, but they, although he also said that Habib was like, I'm not fighting. Yeah. I'm not fighting Connor. So. Right, but how much is that, like, you know, a negotiation leverage to put, you know, yeah. get yeah, more money? Know. I was so, curious, too. Like, you know, what do you guys think about, like, because 
with Nate Diaz coming back to fight Pettis, mm -hmm. do you think that that's somewhat of a lure for Connor, like to kind of get him attracted? Like, oh, Nate, Nate's playing ball. Like he's coming back. Like maybe I should. You know what I mean? Like just in general, I wonder if that's part of it. I don't that, know, right? but I know from Nate's side of things, we're talking to people around him, like his expectation is that he's gonna win, obviously, meet yeah. Pettis. And then, bro, it's either gonna be Connor or title fights, and the yeah. rest of y'all can take a hike. Oh, I, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So he's at least putting himself in the Connor sweepstakes. Is Connor doing the same thing? It's a good question. Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to say. Um, all right, well, that out of the way, let me go back to you, Brian, on this one, because I found this story super interesting. Sage Northcutt makes his debut in one. We had Uriah on the show on Monday. He was saying, Sage never fought in a ring. Man, going back and I'm like, there's no transparency in Wayne uh, One's weight cutting program, which I've been saying for six months. The yes, first sure time have. I said it, I put it on one of my personal YouTube videos. It got super downvoted. I was right then and I'm right now. Um, there, it could be a good program, just nobody knows, which is the exact point that I made. So you had Cosmo Alessandri looking pretty big. Also, multiple time world champion in Thai boxing. Sage had never fought in a ring. Uh, he'd been off for quite some time. He goes in there and gets bulldozed in 30 seconds. Now, you're a professional fighter. When you looked at that, what lesson did you draw from it? I mean, it's it's multiple lessons. Uh, I know Uriah Faber was saying that he was advised maybe not to go in there and fight that fight. Who knows what happened in training camp and stuff like that. Also, on 1FC's side, you know, matchmaking, looking at a young guy like Sage and seeing his potential for growth and then matching him against a guy like that who's got a lot of kickboxing fights and, and you know, a dangerous fighter that's going to be a better striker than him. You know, the fight didn't get to play out. Maybe they thought Sage could do some, you know, take him down and, and get something off on the ground but uh yeah i just think matchmaking wise that wasn't the right decision you got a lot of potential for sage and uh who knows how much money he's making in one fc he's probably just ready to go you know it's not on him he's a fighter fighters fight and that's just how it is he's not looking like oh this guy was a kickboxer i don't know do you have a manager yeah it's up to the manager well, has your manager ever been like i don't like this fight for you Honestly, no, it's never happened. Hmm. I, it's been like, here's the option, and it's yes. You know, <laughs> if you're ready to go, it's yes. So otherwise, you know, the UFC is not happy with someone just turning down a fight because we're we don't like that matchup. We're afraid to fight this style because that's not what a fighter is. You know, fighters should be ready to fight any style and anybody at any time. So you can't really blame Sage himself, but the people around him. He's had a tough time, man. I feel bad for him in a lot of ways because he's he and came in, in a nine-hour surgery, one hundred percent, and Awful. he comes he came yeah. in the UFC yeah. under a, a kind of ridiculous microscope, right? I think yeah. people were kind of touting this guy before we'd really ever seen him uh, him work in the octagon. He ends up in situations where he's fighting. Uh, you know, guys on short notice and things like that. Was it the Mickey Gall? Yeah. And, and you know, guys Ryan like Barbarino. Oh, right, that one. That's the one I was yeah. thinking of. But he ends up in these situations. They're just not ad advantageous for him. But he keeps he keeps his appointment. He goes in there, and then he loses these fights. I really thought going over to the to uh, to one championship that basically they would try to put him with a couple guys he could beat and get him rolling. Really surprised that uh, they put him with. You know, I, I wasn't sure about like this this potential matchup. I wasn't sure. I was like, but it seemed always to me. I was like, that's a pretty dangerous matchup for a first fight. Mm -hmm. And then you watch mm -hmm. the results of that, and you see him get clobbered like that. And you, it just it, it just strikes you as like, man, this guy keeps finding himself in the weirdest situations that mo a lot of fighters just wouldn't have to do under unfair kind of maybe us put, putting too much pressure on or too much you know too many eyes on him originally, and so he becomes that appeal. Like even, what was it, Deadspin and uh, TMZ and those types Home of places, they still, yeah. Yeah, they still are covering him, and it's just, it's a weird thing, man. He's, he's, 
his star is well past where he is as a fighter, and for some reason we keep being, we keep getting reminded of that. That that, that kind of sucks for him. Danny, what's the yeah. takeaway there from that fight? I mean, I, I thought the the matchmaking was very suspect. If you look at you know the fight itself, yes, you know Sage is an MMA fighter, but historically, if you just look at his fights, he doesn't really go for takedowns. Doesn't really use his wrestling. I mean, he did against uh, in his UFC debut, I think it was. He also did against Zach Otto. Um, yeah. But but historically, he's known for his karate style, yeah. right? That's why Tyron Woodley brought him in to help him against you know uh, Steven Wonderboy Thompson. True. Etc. So, you know, when you're putting when you're yeah. putting against someone who's has so much experience in the stand-up department, man, that that's you know that's that's it looked interesting. Unfair, that's like when he cocked her back and yeah. hit him with that. I was that's like, a questionable this is- decision. <laughs> and now he's he's such a young guy, what 25, and yeah. Yeah. you know, so much star power. But like you said, his fighting career is not playing up to that. And why would you want to take that? Like he's a, a model yeah. type of guy. Like yeah, yeah, so, you yeah. know, he's gonna get roles in movies and then Why would you want to take that kind of damage to your? Face? And also, like, like if you got your face literally crushed, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. His face pulverized. Yeah. Wouldn't you be scared in the future about taking yeah, shots on that side? Yeah. That's the point that I was getting to. He's so young, and his career now is hindered because of such a traumatic mm-hmm. injury early on. Psychologically, to get over that's not easy. You know, the next time he goes into fight, which we don't know when that would yeah. be or how long, he's going to now lose years in his prime. Mm-hmm. He's going to go in there having to be okay psychologically to deal with punching and not think, oh, this might happen again. You know, you, yeah. you, can't, you can't go in there gun-shy. And also, like, I don't know if you guys remember, remember when um, Josh Koshik fought GSP and he had his orbital bro- mm-hmm. uh, bone broken. He was never really the same after that. And I remember seeing him in fights, getting hit and, and grabbing his eye, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, it, if, if he would get injured, but just, yeah, you know, I think a confidence factor, like, wait, is my eye okay, you know. Um, but that happened in a title fight. That happened in the peak of his career, you know. So it's, I'm not saying it's okay. Obviously, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. But if something like that's supposed to happen, it should happen at that point in your career, not when you're coming up, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, super tough injury for, for, for him. There's a couple of considerations in addition to this. Number one, it's like, um, as you mentioned, like we don't know exactly how catastrophic that was. Like, oh, a rebound is inevitable. Okay, I hope that it, it sounds is. Rugged. It probably yeah. is, but like, I don't know that it is in terms of like healing from injury and being able to continue to do this. I think the second thing is, and I made this point, it's like, it's not just that to what you're talking about where he gets in these uncomfortable situations. Like, if you don't groom a fighter correctly, they don't develop correctly. And I don't know what his ultimate potential is or could have been, but he's got 14 pro MMA fights. He's 23. In two years, let's say he fights three times a year, he'll have 20 fights and be 25 years old. You're going to basically know what you got at mm-hmm. that point, right? So I don't know how good he's going to be, but we're not far from finding out to be taking shots like this, and by the way, for the people who are like, Sage has no chin, bitch, <laughs> that shot would have dropped a camel. Are you kidding me? Alessandri has ridiculous power yeah. and accuracy and like speed. <laughs> that thing was flushed. I mean, that thing was yeah. one of the most ridiculous yeah. shots I've ever seen. Um, but but like the, the the way this can hinder the, what's supposed to be the growth period, he's just. It's not, it's not being managed well. Last thing on this too, isn't the footwork in a ring completely different than in a cage? Yeah, I think there's more space in a cage to circle out. You know, in a ring you can get cornered a little bit. So the and he, and Alexandra did a, a very good job at that. He kind of cut him off at an angle. Yeah. And he, you know, forced him in a direction. And yeah, just forced him in and then caught him the other way, made him kind of come into it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot different. I feel like in the cage there's so much space to kind of run away. You know, like mm-hmm. if you want, you can you can play that game in a cage where you can move a lot and and avoid things. And in the ring, I think it's much more difficult. I mean, right. an octagon resembles a circle a lot more. You know. And 
and yeah. that's where you get the ultimate freedom, right? Fighting in, in, in a circle. Back to Paulie's point, yeah. that's why you see boxers having really excellent footwork, because yeah. in, in, in right angles, there's just hard to yeah. hide, yeah. right? Uh, especially if someone's really good at cutting you off. So then the other part of one over the week, uh, this was happened yesterday, <laughs> Georgia Petrosian was uh, in a kickboxing bout, which is part of a tournament. He faced a guy who's a TIE fighter, who is tremendous. I cannot pronounce his name, I will not try. <laughs> but the other guy won, and Georgia Petrosian has a bigger name, uh, I think to most casual audiences, or, or certainly one of the, maybe a bigger star in the world of kickboxing, but he loses. Now, I thought he won, because I went back and I watched it, but he didn't. Um, it was relatively close, but I thought Petrosian won. Then, Chachri Sityatong, the promoter of One, gets out there and says the, I think we called it the competition committee, decided that the referee didn't enforce the rules relative to clinching. It wasn't a fair fight, therefore we're going to overturn it. I was like, what <laughs> is this? Now, here's the thing. I agree Petrosian probably won. But Danny, is it not super weird that we don't know who's on this committee, what rules they operate by, by which standards do they apply to overturn a fight or not overturn a fight? Do you not get the heebie-jeebies based on this thing like I did? 100%. I mean, <laughs> let, let's call it how it is. You know, and me, sometimes media are afraid of speaking about this because, you know, access is involved. But let's call it how it is. It's not weird. It's sketchy. It's that's that's what it is. It's sketchy when you're not revealing, you know, you know, fighters' weights, uh, you know, and not even the opponent itself gets to know how much, you know, their their other opponent weighs in at. Um, you know, when you're overruling, you know, a, a judge's decision basically, and what you're doing is no, this wasn't a win. This was a no contest. Like, it gets into a weird territory. And look, I, I went and saw the fight. Right, I didn't see the fight live. I saw the fight after after the announcement. And yeah, there was clinches where they got broken up several times by the Thai fighter. Um, probably illegal. I don't know. You know, I'm not that well versed in kickboxing as I am in, in MMA. But uh, nonetheless, that was that was the, the the referee's call. You know, how many times do we see Dana White <laughs> talking smack about referees mm -hmm. or judges? You know what I'm saying? And he goes all the time. You know, he goes, "That's their job." I didn't agree with it, but that's their job. And they ask sometimes they ask Dana, oh, "Who do you think won in this fight?" He goes. It doesn't matter what I think. Yeah. That, that's what the judges. That's what they're. And they're I mean, they've self-regulated yeah. in Singapore before. I mean, it's like exactly. They, if that's an availability, that that turns everything into something else. Like nobody would ever really do that. That's what makes this crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're you're way overstepping your bounds when you have a third-party arbiter for a reason. Yes. And there's a there's a big reason because there's gambling. Like there's outside gambling. There's everything. If you can just. Take, why not just say, well, you know, Sage Northcutt was actually winning the fight before that landed. So you, there's really no difference. I mean, yeah, you, you're still you're changing a um, you're changing something that you saw that basically goes against what the officials ruled, and it, it just it can't be done. It just it it it's sketchy and it's like sketchy. Yeah. It's crazy to me. You know, it's like that. It doesn't make sense. Did they? They actually overturned it. Like, yeah, yeah. So no, no contest. contest, and they're doing a rematch. Now they have to do a rematch, yeah, and then I, the winner and, of that and all will honestly, advance. I didn't see the fight, but it's crazy because a lot of fights actually have legitimacy in being overturned, but it doesn't. It never happens. You know, people try to get you know fights overturned when illegal things yeah. happen in fights, and it just never happens. But then you have a situation like this. It just seems real sketchy. <laughs> and, and, and also, here's the other part about it. Like, am I against in theory? the idea of a promotion overturning a fight based on a referee botching a job. Let's just imagine right. a theory. Not necessarily. I, I, can imagine a, I can imagine a scenario where if everything is above board, we know under what considerations you would do it, uh, who's on the committee that makes the decision, they would have to write up a report, you could read why they did it, what the rules would be about it. Like, if I understood what the process was and who was involved in the process, maybe I wouldn't agree, but I'd feel a lot better. But you've got yes. a weigh-in system where it, literally is not public. 
Uh, I asked Gary Toner on the MMA Hour, have you ever seen your opponents weigh in? Nope. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? And I, when I called this up, people were like, oh, but there's anecdotal evidence. I'm not saying it's not, it's not a good program. I don't know what kind of program it is. Here's what I can say definitively. You don't get to take credit for a damn thing until it's transparent. The commission system in the United mm-hmm. States is not great. Brian probably knows that better than we do. <laughs> but the reality is this. At least their weigh-ins, the media are invited. You can take photographs, you can yeah. videotape, you can talk, you can look at the scale. That's not a perfect system. That's a lot better than I have no idea what my opponent weighed in at. I didn't even get a chance to look at it. The results aren't revealed. You're going to have water-style drug testing, which literally is not even a thing. It doesn't exist. You've got your own agency you're pushing fighters into, which is super sketch. And now you're overturning bouts and you're not telling us why or who did it or under what circumstances, right. sorry, yeah. red flag yeah, but city. Other than that, man, the promotion's been humming along pretty nicely. But look, hey, 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 18 million people watch this. Hold on, I'm raising concerns, but at the same time, this is what frustrates me. Like, Asia needs a one. Doesn't it? Like you need a promotion that's out there doing what they're doing. There's been a lot of them who've tried to do the Asian market and like do basically what one is doing and have failed. So it's good to see them actually. And I like the fact that they don't have the 10 point must system. I actually Mm -hmm. think that's better. And they are putting on interesting fights. I want them to to like do the right thing. What I don't want is the MMA community to give them credit for something they do not deserve. You want to take credit for something? Prove it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there definitely needs to be transparency. As you said, like, I'm still not in favor of a promotion being able to have that power to overrule something. But if, man, if you're at least going to do it, tell us how you came to that decision. Tell us who came to that. Mm-hmm. Who 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 was the people involved that came to that decision? But you know, just throwing a Facebook post and being like, "Yo, this is and just undermining, <laughs> this undermining is what, it is. what? Undermining the officials that basically are in there. For yeah. you. It's just it's. I just don't get it. it. Doesn't translate. You can't do that. I mean, they did it, but you can't. It's like something that just literally shouldn't be done. All right, let's go to the next one, which is some of the, the UFC Rochester leftovers. Brian, I'll go to you on this one. Um, how hard is it for you to make one thirty-five? Not too hard at all. I'm about one fifty-five. Like when I'm far away from my fight, leading up to my fight, two weeks out, I'll be like one forty-eight and twelve pounds of water. It's it's not too hard. For when me. you show up on Tuesday, what are you at typically? Uh, about one forty-eight. That's a lot. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't get really big. I stay in shape all year round, pretty much, and I don't, I don't like fall off where I gain like a ton of weight and get in the sixties. I usually stay one fifty five or under throughout like my whole camp. All right. So you had Kevin Lee in the main event against Rafael dos Anjos. By the way, Rafael dos Anjos criminally underrated. We'll talk about that in just a mm-hmm. second. But I kind of want to start with Kevin Lee on this one with you. He changes weight classes. We knew the 155 cut was hard for him. We'd seen it in person because they have public weigh-ins in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. <laughs> and you Novel could see, concept. yeah, no, but seriously, you could watch, look at this guy. He looked terrible, right? Oh, yeah. um, so he jumps up a weight class and he makes the weight. He looked so much better, at least on the Healthy. scales. And then he goes out there and has the exact same kind of cardio problems. Guys, full of talent. What went wrong? You know, I think that it was the way that he came out the gate hot like that. He he started that fight way too fast, and he kept that up the whole way. And it was kind of interesting because when he at the end when he missed that last takedown, he just kind of collapsed. Like he, he just hit like a wall. Like his pace couldn't be kept up any longer. And uh, you know, you could say weight cut or different weight class, but Rafael Dos Anjos has fought at 155. That was a very fair fight size wise for him. 
And he's had better performances at 55, I feel. Even though the weight cut's so hard, he, he's done really well. He, 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 you know, walked through Barboza with, with wrestling. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think that he was so diligent with the wrestling, trying to take Dos Anjos down. And I, I really give him the credit for his defense. He used the Kimura a lot to try to, you know, distract him from getting takedowns. And I think Kevin Lee just got so tired after a while that he just collapsed at the end and kind of gave in. But, um, yeah, I, I thought he looked healthy at 170. I think he should probably stay there. And you never know. It could be a coaching thing, something something in his camp, the way he's training. You know, I, I you could be training completely different for the type of style that you're going to put it, put out there. So who's to know? But he looked all right. Yeah. He looked healthy to me. To me, I agree with everything you just said. It also seems like he needs to strengthen his plan B a little bit. Like, I yeah. feel like he doesn't have a plan B. It's That's like right. he's going to do... Read. Yeah, it's like he, he's, he goes in there with a certain game plan, and he's mm-hmm. stubbornly going to die with it if he can't get it done. Yeah. And we've seen him uh, power through guys and make it work, and then we've seen ones like this for guys like Rafael Dos Anjos who can weather that early storm and then basically take the fight from him. It's been rinse and repeat with a couple of his fights, so... Um, you would have liked to have seen, I would like to see him develop a plan B a little more where you can see him make some in-fight ad, uh, adaptations where he's basically, uh, you know, you see something different from him coming out in the second round or third round. But it's, I think it's just he kind of fixates a little bit on what he wants to do, and it, it costs him. Because his cardio, uh, unfortunately, that's what that's what keeps happening to him. Did anyone same thing. I think there's a lot of things to consider, you know, and I got to be very careful with what I'm saying here because this is a tell regu- the truth. This is a regular dude tell telling something to a professional <laughs> elite fighter. Um, you know, I, I think you know technique wise, and you know, I've been grappling. You know, I wrestled for two years. I've been doing jujitsu for almost eight. Uh, I think you know through a lot of techniques, especially in the takedowns, he he tries to power through a yeah. lot of a lot of things, and, and and we see that. And uh, you know, sometimes it's effective, and you can get through. You can power mm-hmm. through certain moves. Um, but nonetheless, it, it will cost you, you know, to your gas tank. At some point, you have to use frames. There's certain things that that you, technique-wise, that you implement that that'll, you know, alleviate that uh, as far as like the gas tank goes. Um, I also think you, you know, some fighters are just cardio machines. Like if you look at Cain Velasquez, that's just the way you're born. Some guys are better built for three rounds. Some guys are better for five. You know, um, I think Kevin Lee's probably a little better built for for three than five. Um, and also, you know. I don't want to critique him too much. Dude, he fought the number three guy, you know, a former world champion. He didn't get any easy fight, you know what I'm saying? Um, I'm sure if that would have been any other welterweight, he probably would have gotten the W. So um, I still think, you know, Kevin Lee is an elite fighter. He's young. There's a lot of room for growth. Um, I'd like to see him again at 170, just how he looks. I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to see him back down at 155. I think let's take another look. Look, you fought a really tough guy. A lot of people have come up short against uh, RDA. Uh, let's see what you look at again at 170. So I had a few reads on this one. I think the Plan B one was the one I read. It, it, like when he was against Barboza, one of the things that makes Kevin Lee so dangerous in my mind is he's got the wrestling, but he actively guard passes and he actively takes mount. Mount I think is a lost art in MMA. Like, people aren't very good at it because they just don't practice it, but he does. So when he can lord his technical superiority over an opponent. <laughs> He's a nightmare. He's a nightmare. But if there is a, if it's close or if the person is even, uh, there's no other gear. And like I was on the Monday morning analyst, I was looking at the numbers. If you look at like the takedown numbers per round for a Habib fight, it's like one or two at most. Because once he gets you there, bro, you're there. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kevin Lee was getting a takedown and then he'd get, and Dos Anjos would get up, get a takedown, get up. So he had like four takedowns, three takedowns in a round. It's just not, it, either you have to have super good cardio, uh, ridiculous wrestling, 
um, or the ability to do punishment in the in-between. And if any piece of that, of the, any leg of that stool is missing, the whole thing collapses. But Brian, I saw an internet commentary, and I, <laughs> I want to be very careful about how I ask this question. <laughs> Kevin Lee is a polarizing figure. Now, I think he's championship material, but he's got some things to figure out. But one of the things they said was, Kevin Lee is better about assessing his opponent's weaknesses than he is about realizing his own. So let me ask you, one, do you think that's true? And two, how hard is it to assess your own shortcomings? And I don't mean to bring this up, but it is relevant. You are coming off of two losses. Surely you must have done some reflection about that. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at yourself and see where you're doing things right, doing things wrong. You know, that's also the coach's job too. But, uh, Do you have like meetings with coaches? Uh, not not necessarily meetings like for strictly that, but when you're with your coach, you'll 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 touch on that stuff. You know, you'll talk about that during training or whatnot, and see you know when last fight this happened or this fight this is going to happen. We got to work on this. But a lot of fighters don't want to focus on their opponents that much. They want to focus more on themselves and just forget who they're fighting and what they're good at and whatnot, and just get better at every single area so that you're prepared for any situation. And uh, with Kevin Lee, I feel like his expenditure of energy is is a big thing, and that's something you can't teach. And that's why he's he's using so much strength, like he was saying, with everything. He's straining, you know, he's trying to get you down so much. He doesn't go to the plan B, like you were saying before, like off of the takedown. He's just holding, waiting, trying to get you down, straining it, straining it. But he doesn't go off to a single, switch back to a mm -hmm. double. He doesn't do a lot of switching like that. And... Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if uh, he's has a game plan issue or if it's you know the way he's training, but you know who knows? I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I guess what I'm asking you is, after a, after a win or a loss, do you ever go back and and have a hard time figuring out like why it went the way it did, or when something goes right or wrong, you're able to be like, okay, this is why this worked, this is why this didn't. It's it's not it's not that cut and dry to me. I feel like sometimes you lose a fight and it's just you got caught or that guy was better that night. It, it could be simple things like that, but you have to just get better everywhere. You know, if you got taken down a bunch of times and held down, he got, okay. way, he got taken down four times in that fight. Yeah, now it's like we need to work our takedown defense and our get ups. You know what I mean? Like something specific. If it's so obvious in the fight, like you got broken down here. You know, like you didn't move, you you were in a Kimura and you just stayed there type of thing. Like then you can look at specifics. But other than that, I feel like it's just get better overall everywhere. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, <laughs> so then that takes us to Clearly, get, I, I'm not the same fighter you are, that's yeah, why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, UFC heavyweight champion, Chuck Mendenhall. Um, so then there's so then there's Megan Anderson. Now, this is another one where it's like, I'm not sure what to say about this one because Yo, Felicia Spencer was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. She's just really good. She just knew how to progress and attack. Is Megan Anderson, Danny, a bit of another sage situation where I don't mean to say they're identical, but these people get pushed so far and then there's these ridiculous, unfair expectations that they can't possibly live up to. What, ha what happened there? I think, yeah, I think just there's a, a few issues there. Like, for one, matchmaking is, is key. And matchmaking is very important for a fighter's development. But when you have literally no division, then all of a sudden matchmaking becomes really hard, right? Yeah. Uh, I think from the Holly Holm fight, we saw that Megan Anderson clearly had a hole in the, in, in the wrestling and grappling department. When you have Holly Holm, a very decorated, you know, boxer and kickboxer, someone that's historically only, you know, in her MMA fights, uh, you know, st striking, and then you know she recently added the wrestling component. By no means she's an elite wrestler, yet she was, you know, and also a weight class below. She was, you know, throwing around Megan Anderson. Um, and then they pair her up with, with Kat Zingano, which, you know, that fight, we know how it went down. And then Felicia Spencer, uh, you know, former Invicta champion, super legit black belt. So 
I think the matchmaking was was quite poor uh, in, in in this specific situation. And I think you know Megan Anderson has is very talented, but this is why you need uh, you know grooming. This is why you need certain fights that you know proper matchmaking uh, you know would allow that. But with no division, you know you're just bound to bring you know the best of the best to. To, to fight, you know. How old is Megan Anderson? Uh, she's 29. 29. 29. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like with matchmaking, it's kind of, uh, it's interesting because it's up to the business, the UFC, to say, like, we want to we focus on good matchmaking for this fighter. Mm-hmm. I feel like it doesn't go across the board. Like, they're not focused on, like, we want a good matchup style for this fighter. They're just like, well, this is the next person. <laughs> You know, yeah, but yeah. for Sage, they did that. Yeah. They were giving yeah, him... Yeah, for certain people, I'm saying, but not across yeah. the board, not for everyone. Right. Like, Megan Anderson, not a big star. I, I know the weight class is, is you know, not, not strong, but uh, they're willing to, you know, risk her losing to bring in a new star, potentially, because the weight class isn't deep. Mm. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, th- they have her doing a lot of media. She's she's sort mm-hmm. of... It, it feels like the UFC believes in her and, and want to invest in her. Um, it's just the matchmaking portion hasn't aligned. But also, like... I, I talked to uh, Laura Senka, who does a podcast with her. They, they know each other. Yeah. And Laura was telling me, she was like, let me just, you know, she's like, no, you don't have to believe me if you don't want to. But she's like, I train with Laura, or excuse me, uh, with Megan. I know her very well. She knows the answers to all the positions she was in. Just on fight night, something yeah. didn't go wrong. And by the way, she walks around mid-170s, That's man. Crazy. Part yeah. of me wonders, like, dude, I think that cut might be a lot harder than folks realize. Yeah. yeah. She's I mean, tall, man. Maybe 155 <laughs> is her weight class. I bet you it is. But what is she supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like, fell one million, Kayla Harrison. <laughs> you, uh, uh, That's the way. It could be seriously one of those situations where she just doesn't, uh, somehow the spotlight, when she get in there, it's a very isolated thing. She didn't I would do imagine. it in media before the that's fight. That's what I'm saying. I, I, you know, there's some people, that's a that's the toughest thing, is when it becomes time to execute, you, you just lose some of it, or you're slow to react, or whatever the thing is. It could literally be something like that for her, but we've, I've, we've certainly seen her look a lot better Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure, but it seems to me like there could be somewhat of a psychological issue going on there too. Yeah, I reached out to her people to do an interview, and they're like, "Yeah, she's not doing interviews." So yeah, I was like, yeah. "Okay." Yeah, her I mean, coaches were saying like in the gym, she's knocking out dudes and stuff. Yeah. And she, you know, she's doing really well, but under the lights could be. A and it's crazy because they really, they really increased the spotlight on her because she was being kind of groomed in this weird way to fight Cyborg, and I, well, that was kind of out of the gate. And there's a lot of yeah. people with their first mm-hmm. familiarity with her were. Basically, like, oh, this could be a person to come on and challenge Cyborg. That's a hell of a place to start. You know what I mean? And to get, you know, like, that's your lineage. Yeah. And then, but you're not ready because you're still developing your game. But it doesn't matter because they need you now. It's like it's a terrible spot to be in. Like, one of the benefits. Now, Felicia Spencer's there. She's number two now, just like that. (laughs) And and then, and also, I mean, and in fairness to Felicia, like, dude, Felicia's very skilled. Very skilled. Very skilled. So it's like, how is Megan going to make up that distance in the in between? You got a lot of work. To, I, yeah. I don't really know. What, I don't know what the answer there is. Yeah. We, we skipped over. Let me do it very, very quickly. I just want to say a word of praise to Rafael dos Anjos because yeah. okay. after the fight was over, everyone was like, "Oh, Kevin Lee fell short," which is not fair to Kevin, and it's not fair to Rafael dos Anjos. Poor RDA. Dude. He always has that. He always has that. Like, He's it's always, always the guy that when he beats somebody, everyone's like, "Hey, that guy's a fucking loser." <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, maybe RDA is real good. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's twenty nine and eleven, Brian. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is at twenty nine and eleven, he's as he pointed out number three in the world still in the welterweight weight class, mm-hmm. which if not the best one, second best one. You might have an issue with that bantamweight. You might say that's a little better. But still, you know what I'm saying. It's one of the premier weight classes in the sport. And what's happening is if you are 29 and 11 with the kind of losses he had as a boxer, 
you'd be washed. You'd be nobody. You would not be anything. But he is like the exemplar of what it means to be an MMA elite fighter. Because, yes, he has fallen short. You know why he's fallen short? Because he took risks. And he fought tough dudes. And more often than not, he beat them. But he was speaking about the different cultures between MMA and boxing. RDA is pure MMA, pure MMA isn't yeah. he? Yeah, you yeah. have to praise that. He's fought the who's who, 155, 170. And, and became he, a champion. Yeah, became a champion. And he's taken devastating losses. And after taking a devastating loss and coming back and still performing the way he does, like you, you have to give high praise to that guy. And that was a great performance. A lot of people are saying, like, oh, Kevin Lee this, Kevin Lee that. He tried his best to implement his game plan, the whole fight, you know, and then uh, RDA shut it down, essentially. But all people see is that, like, he failed at doing what he was doing but RDA is uh he's doing amazing at 170 right now and you know he's been knocked out bad a a bunch of times and he shows no signs of of fear in there still so high praise to him to have those kinds of battles Chuck and not be shop worn no, I agree. Amazing. I agree 100. Yeah. And I wasn't one because he was—he's coming off a couple losses, right? Like yeah. so, coming to, into this to fight, Kamaru, which was, by the way, a right. a record beating, literally, statistically, right. yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then to Colby, right? And it's like, so you you're not 100 percent sure because sometimes you do get a guy in like that third fight where it's a desperation kind of fight, and uh, they they will look different. But uh, you know, that guy always brings it, like you said, and it's crazy. You were mentioning how, how unsung he is ultimately. Like when he went through uh, Pettis back in the day, a lot of it was like, "What's up with Pettis? What what happened exactly. with Pettis?" And then he beats Cow- Cowboy. The whole narrative when he's fighting Cowboy on that fight was about Cowboy. It wasn't about RDA. And then he goes right through him. And I felt like we never gave him his uh, his praise for that either. It's like he's one of those guys. You know, he fights guys like Robbie Lawler. And uh, you think like, He's oh, this, this will be the one who's gonna you know go right in, and he wins that fight. You're just like the guy is just he's. He's not, he's like, it's perseverance, but it's, there's something else. There's something else that we haven't identified with yeah. him. Man. He's the quarterback who throws the interception yeah. and then takes his right. team on the next uh, possession and marches them right down the field and yeah. scores. He's yeah. amazing. And I've, I've always said this, uh, I think Rafael dos Anjos is pound for pound the most well-rounded fighter in, in, in the game. And he's also, I mean, he, he started getting knocked, yeah. his first fight, he got viciously KO'd. Oh, by Jeremy and, Stevens. And look at yeah. him now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'll I think he broke his jaw in that. Uh, yeah. No, Clay Guida broke his jaw. Bro- yeah, yeah, that's right, Clay Guida. Guida. Yeah. You know what I mean? Surprisingly, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Clay <laughs> Guida's the one that broke his jaw. Of all the guys he's fought, and it was from the back, it was one of those, like a gable grip chokes, he just kind of crushed it. Just kind of crushed it a little bit. Clay Guida's probably strong as hell. Yeah, so just, no one gave him any praise, and I couldn't believe it, but okay, we, we took time to do it. All right, time now for the last segment of this portion of the show. It's called Under the Radar. It's where we look at just maybe one story that we didn't get to on the rundown today that's worth a mention. We start over there, work this way forward. Chuck, what is Under the Radar? I'm going to shout out to uh, Juan Adams, who a heavyweight who's been uh, basically calling for a shot against him uh, for the most punchable guy probably in the UFC right now, the one that people want to see get beat up, and it's Greg Hardy, and it was able to, it sounds like that fight's happening and I, I got to say, sometimes like you see that a guy who wants something, they actually put it out there. It's a, it's just one of those weird lessons. You're like, dude, shoot shoot your shot, go for the stars, and that sort of thing. So, um, good job by him. Brian, what's under the radar? Shout out to the California kid who's not a kid yeah. anymore, but uh, he's trying to make a comeback. You know, he's he's hinting at uh, possible opponents that are being thrown at him, and just had a kid. I'm sure that that's inspiring him. But I just find it interesting. In this game, you know, Uriah Faber is a guy who's smart with business. He has multiple businesses, and he obviously probably doesn't need money. He doesn't need to fight for money. But it just goes to show the addiction of competition. We we, we always want to get that feeling back. You know, there's nothing like winning a fight out there. So, you know, without being a compare to that at his age, I'm kind of surprised he wants to come back. He's, he's done mm-hmm. enough in the sport. He has nothing to prove. But 
But uh, you know, we'll see who they That's match him up with. That's gotta be a no-brainer too, right? For Sacramento, that card. Yeah, yeah Sacramento coming up, so that that makes a lot of sense for him. But I wonder where they'll go with matchmaking yeah. with him if they'll give him like an up-and-comer or like a big name. Still, I, I wonder where they'll go. Yeah, and by the way, to your point about the competition facing Nikki Ryan over in Polaris yeah. in a jiu-jitsu match this weekend. Yeah. Understand? I made this point yeah. when he had him on the show. He brought Gordon Ryan over for quintet, so like he knows who the Ryan brothers mm-hmm. are. And then he decides to go and match up with Nikki Ryan. And every time I ask somebody who's trained or rolled with Nikki Ryan, I'm like, what's it like to go? Oh, God. <laughs> like, it's a nightmare to go yeah. with that guy. So he went up and signed up for it. To your point, the guy loves it, man. Yeah, he's staying sharp. He said he, he loves training jujitsu. So, you know, obviously his desire for competition to go against a guy like that. It's crazy, man. Danny, yeah. what's under the radar? So, um, Aurora Cannabis Company. A company I knew uh, you out of Canada. Look at that mustache. Right now. Wagenheim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pupils are like, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> almost didn't say Wagenheim in Espanol. Wagenheim. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, they um, they signed a uh, multi-year, multi-billion, a million uh, dollar uh, partnership with the UFC, and they're going to be at the UFC PI. Uh, I guess doing some tests on CBD. Uh, I guess you know with athlete, you know injury prevention, recovery, uh, all that. You know CBD. You know, and I like this because we want experimentation. We want to find out what works and what doesn't. Maybe it doesn't lead to anything. Maybe it does. We don't know. So um, they're going to do that as well. And uh, you know, I'm also happy because we know the the stigma. We know that marijuana is a you know banned substance at least in competition. Um, and we know obviously how silly that is. And maybe you know, I know CBD is a little bit different, but maybe that can start breaking some of the stigmas uh, around the the plant. Yeah. Well, as I have indicated many times, if you're listening to my radio show, no one knows about CBD. People have anecdotal evidence that it works, and if it works, and you think it works. By all means, keep using it. But as I speak today, there's not a whole lot of evidence that it does. Or we just it's totally unknown. Plus, there's like a lot of inconsistency. Like you might know a good company, and I might mm-hmm. not know a good company, and so therefore we're getting totally different kinds of products. Um, so that's a bit of the wild west. The, the for me, me under the radar was uh, USADA decided to sort of um, bless NSF sanctioning or uh, NSF screening for supplements. These are supplements where you could sort of trust that they have undergone a sufficient degree of quality control. You never know if they're contaminated, but it simply reduces the risk, which I don't have any issue with um, for the most part. What I did find funny, and no one really noticed this, was have you been to the Performance Institute before? Once, yeah. Well, was, it, was, it, was it cool? Yeah, I've heard good things. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it was good. The UFC signed a deal with something called Thorn, uh, T H O R N E supplements, and I looked them up. They do have high ratings, but it's not exactly what you would think. It's less GNC and more like Walgreens, where like you can get creatine at Walgreens, but I don't know that's what you would go to Walgreens to get. <laughs> it's not actually. It's, yeah, it's more like it's more like lifestyle. Um, um, you know, um, um, how do I explain it? It's more things your grandmother might take than a than a fighter. So I encourage you to look it up. It, again, they do have high ratings, which needs to be acknowledged. They are NSF certified. The only thing I found kind of interesting was on the front page of their website, they have detox products, which is red flag city because there's no such thing. You know all those girls on Instagram who sell you fit teas? They're not real. You ever seen those detox? I want to do a juice cleanse. It doesn't exist. You have your kidneys, your liver, your uh, sweat glands, and your skin. That is your body's natural detox. There is no such thing as detoxing with toxins. So for them to have that on the front page of their website, and they're the ones in the PI, worth some looking into. That's all I'm saying. All right? All right. Well, you just put it over the radar, brother. I'll put it over the radar, son. You're on notice. 
They do have high ratings. Just keep that in mind. Uh, hey, Brian. You did all right. <laughs> you did all right. Still, still feel my heart ticking, but uh, I'm good. I'm uh, if folks want more from you, like what's next? How can they get in touch with you if they want to troll you? What do they? What do they? Do? Uh, you can troll me at Brian Boom One Three Five on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, now you were supposed to fight in May. You had an injury. Yeah, what happened? And when are we going to see you again? Yeah, I had a neck injury. Unfortunately, uh, I, I would have liked to push through it and fight, but I was advised by management coaches. You know. Last fight on my deal. Don't don't risk it. You oh, know, right. let's get okay. in there hundred percent. Which now looking back, I agree with. But in the in the moment, I'm like, I, I want to get in there. You know, I put the work in, but I I feel like I could do it. But who were you supposed to fight? I forgot. Uh, I was supposed to fight Mitch Gagnon. That's right. Mitch yeah, Gagnon. who was Ooh, that? Who, was a good fight for you. Yeah, good matchup for me. Good style. That that made it hurt a little bit more. Not fighting and and having watched the fight, I think I could have done well still. And uh, you know, hopefully get back in there early July. Nothing set. Nothing official. But uh, yeah, you could check out my YouTube channel. I try to do the boom breakdowns, you know, for the yeah. fight cards and uh, and music too. I've been working on music. I, I got it out on Spotify. You could just search boom and uh, and some new songs coming out. I see the mic tattoos. Yeah, I got the microphone here. I got like the music stuff. Look at you. Yeah. Always have music in my family. Renaissance man, yeah. Brian Boone. Yeah. What is your band playing out here? Is it gonna be? <laughs> I am the band. <laughs> uh, well, great job. It was, great. It was an yeah. honor to have no, you here. I really awesome. appreciate it. Look forward to having you uh, back in the cage. That's where you really yeah. belong. No, th this was another dream of mine. This is, this is awesome, man. I really appreciate it. All right, very good. Well, uh, we are done here. Keep sending those questions, those comments, using the hashtag #TheMMABeat for the Iceman Chuck Mendenhall, Brian Boom Kelleher, Danny the Mustache Segura. How do you say mustache in Spanish? Hey, bigote. Bigote. Oi, bigote. <laughs> uh, I'm Luke Thomas. Hands up, chin down, let him fly. This is the MMA Beat.